Now streaming, the Netflix and Swill podcast. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Netflix and Swill podcast, your source for Netflix news, reviews, and booze. I'm Caleb. I know I'm bald me with the barcode. Uh, how are you, Mr. Hitman, I guess? Yeah, we don't... I don't think we actually have... Well, that's not true. I think in 2 they actually reveal his real name. It's just I don't care, but look, there's a story... I didn't think he had a name because he's a clone. I thought he just had a serial number. That's possible. But uh, he has... So, like... Hitman one through three, the new the new versions. Uh, one came out in twenty sixteen, and the most recent came out uh, last Wednesday. Uh, have a cohesive story, and I think they reveal his name in it. But I also don't give a fuck. He's just like I'm for I'm Agent Forty Seven. Who cares? You know what my Hitman killer name would be? Agent Sixty Nine. There we go. There it is. Uh, now, but that game's fun. It's always been fun. Uh, I've been playing a lot of it, especially yeah. on stream. I'll have to swing by your stream. I haven't been on Twitch in a, a dog's age. but Well, I mean, it's a dog shit platform right now because they're banning. <laughs> it's it's hilarious because they're banning. Pl- they, they go through like different kind of ban phases. So uh, they went through a ban phase for anybody who had DMCA content on their channel, which like understandable but like they went back in like the way way back archives for certain people and just like hey you're getting a dmca strike for this even though it was like three years ago i was like uh, okay so then that began the whole mass purging of uh vod's on twitch so uh most channels that are bigger don't have any vods uh really from anything in that time period now there's the one where it's like, hey, if you started a Twitch account before you were like, I want to say 16 or 18, uh, we're banning your account because you shouldn't have been able to create it, despite the fact that it's been going mm-hmm. for 10-ish years. Like, there have been certain people who, like, start an account at, like, 13, and then, you know, it's 11 years later, they're 24, and their account got banned because they started it 11 years ago when they shouldn't have been able to start it. Cool. Dog shit platform. One of my favorite memes that I saw recently was uh, it's like the template where it's the guy with like a domino and it knocks oh, over yeah, like yeah. consistently bigger dominoes until there's one that's like the size of a fucking encyclopedia. And like the little tiny domino is some guy in China eating a bat and the huge one is Twitch bans the PogChamp emoti- emoticon. Yeah, that guy uh, was very much for the Capitol riots. So uh, Twitch was like, nope, we're going to deplatform him. And have instead given content creators, uh, like, other content creators have done, like, the PogChamp face. So now, like, PogChamp's been, like, a rotation of different content creators doing the PogChamp face. Which is kind of cool, but also ridiculous. Fuck that guy, though. Fuck that guy. So, um, I I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the... The biggest news item of the day. Um, we're going to start depoliticizing the show because I feel like we kind of took a firm stand there. And now we have a president who 
um, isn't inciting riots and doesn't give a shit about, you know, the color of the fucking interior of the Air Force One and isn't playing golf and mm-hmm. uh, not making news at 1 a.m. So the the most important thing that I have to talk about is the goddamn trailer for Godzilla vs. Kong. Okay. Uh, my dick is so hard. These two titans clashing uh, in a battle of the ages. Did you see the trailer? I have not. Uh, mainly because I already know I'm seeing the movie, so I don't need to see the trailer. Right. Um, it was a good trailer. It looks like it's going to be just big, dumb fun with big monsters who have, you know, huge abs and dicks and just ejaculating all over the screen for mm-hmm. our enjoyment. Uh, which is exactly what I wanted. I hope they don't fuck it up with a bunch of like humans running around doing stuff. Millie Bobby Brown is back. Okay. And then there's like some girl who's from Skull Island who like had a like she was the only human who could like communicate with Kong or whatever. So that like each each uh one of them has a human avatar. Mm-hmm. But that's fine, as long as they're, you know, fighting, and that's the main focus of the movie. I made a bold claim. So, like, a couple magic sets ago, there was, like, the set was all, like, big monsters and stuff. So, they're like, hey, let's do a cross-promotion with the Godzilla franchise. So, they made a bunch of alternate art versions of uh, magic cards that had Godzilla characters on them. So, you know, because I believe the movie is going to be, you know... Kong and Godzilla slug it out, but then they're going to do a Batman versus Superman. There's going to be a there's going to be a Dawn of Justice. Yeah, there's going to be a bigger threat, and they have to team up and destroy the the real bad guy. Which it's going to either be Mecha Godzilla or Mecha Ghidorah. Probably Mecha Godzilla based on the trailer because like oh the internet picks everything apart. Yeah, I, I mean. How they left King of Monsters off, I like. I would be shocked if it wasn't Mecha Ghidorah. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's going to be one of the two for sure. But like, if that's not the plot of the movie, uh, I will uh, eat my Godzilla Doom Inevitable Magic the Gathering card, and I guess to prove that I did it, put a video on YouTube of myself eating it. Okay. I mean, you do whatever you want. Yeah. So I'm, I'm drawing my line in the sand. That's going to be what the movie is. Excuse me, I'm very burpy. That was well brought up. Too bad you weren't. <laughs> hey, at least uh... I'm still not wearing my barn clothes. <laughs> well, uh, considering that alcohol caused my belch there, let's talk about uh, what's our swill in What's Our Swill. Can we please get some alcohol into my mouth? He hates these cans! Stay away from the cans! What do you got? Uh, well, I have a bunch of, like, mini bottles of whiskey that were, like, left over from, uh, like, Christmas gifts that I received in 2019, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not doing anything with those, clearly, so I just dumped one of those into uh some cranberry juice cuz my body's a dumpster. What do you have? Uh I just finished the final bit of Eagle Rare from uh early quarantine. 
Uh, if you remember when the pandemic first started, I bought like a seventy dollar bottle of Eagle Rare Bourbon. Yeah, that thing, and I think it was like I don't, I don't know exactly the sizing of it. It's it a fucking murder weapon. Uh, that is the size of it, and uh, it's it's over. It's done. So it only took me ten months to knock it out, but it's it's done with now. It's gone. It's done. Gerald won't understand that reference. But Ashley does. She finally finished reading Return of the King, just in time. Nice. Also, quarantini, easy on the teeny. So yeah, it's a delicious bourbon. Everyone should have it. All right, fantastic. Uh, and the other big news is uh, that Nerdrovert, who we talked about last week joining our Patreon uh, over at patreon.com slash Netflix and Swill, has decided to up his patronage to the $3 level. So uh, I don't know what the fuck you listened to in the last week. But thank you, uh, and we appreciate you supporting us at any level. doesn't have to be $3, dollars $5, just fine. He probably liked all of my sick memes over in the 2Ps uh, patron chat. That's probably true. But um, thank you, Nerdvert. We love you, and we love your money. Let's go over to the news. Oh, shit, it's mail time. So this is uh, your favorite day of the quarter. Uh, yep. Netflix has published its uh, quarterly earnings call. So I will let you uh, lay that on me right now. Yeah, uh, it's my favorite day of the quarter. I actually did a, a whole live stream breakdown over on my Twitch channel about what my thoughts were as I read through uh, Netflix's 8K, uh, which is their quarterly Actually, I don't know. It's like a year-to-date summary or something like that. I don't know exactly what the 8K is. But basically, they, they break down everything from their uh, shareholders' call on it. So if you want a full breakdown of everything, go check that out over on my Twitch. I don't know why I said out, like, like I'm a Canadian. But uh, considering that Tom Brady's back in the Super Bowl, I thought I you guess, were from Minnesota. I, got, I, I watched the Packers lose today, which sucked. <laughs> So yeah, uh, if you want a full breakdown of everything, this is going to be like the high-level stuff that actually matters for this show. Uh, so first and foremost, Netflix has announced that they've officially surpassed 200 million paid subscribers. That's big. Uh, yeah, yes, that that is correct. That is big. I don't know. I don't know what to say here. I never thought this would be possible in 2020, uh, and we're considering it 2020 uh, because... Uh, based off of their Q4 earnings report, they they do list they have 200 million subscribers. I don't know. I just never thought it'd be possible with this pandemic, but uh, I guess with their uh, record growth, like they added 37 million subscribers this year, which is an all time high. Uh, I, I guess through that, all things are possible. So, yeah, Netflix is the biggest streaming service in the world still, and they've hit an amazing milestone. Uh, how quickly will Disney Plus hit that milestone? We'll see how long they keep their price at six ninety nine a month. Yeah, I know. Uh, one of my coworkers was talking about um, they have a like a bundle plan through their cable provider with like TV and phone and all that horse shit that no one needs in fucking twenty twenty one. And uh, they were talking about what a pain in the ass it is and thinking about cutting the cord. So and. Uh, Going full Netflix. And I said, you should do it. Yeah. I mean, I, I argue the three big streaming services that you, anybody should have right now are Netflix, Prime, and HBO Max. 
and and you could totally get away with just those three and be perfectly fine and content for the rest of your life, most likely. I don't have Prime, but I do have HBO Max, and uh, I enjoy it. It's a good service. Yeah. Well, Prime, I say Prime just because, like, and it also has, like, the shipping aspect to it, uh, and, of course, the uh, potential labor disputes uh, attached to the whole thing, too. So, I mean, if you if yeah you, you want to support Jeff Bezos uh, keeping down the working class, man, uh, go for it. Man, how pissed off would Bezos be if fucking Elon made a streaming service? Oh, man, all the right-wing chuds would love that shit. <laughs> Do people generally like Elon Musk or cuz I can't tell kinda it oscillates it like he he's like an oscillating fan of hatred like you have no idea how people are ever going to feel about him at any moment in time mm-hmm. cuz like I think he is like at least trying to do some good things and yes he is capitalizing on it monetarily but at least like He's pushing forward the electric car revolution, which needs to happen. Now, of course, still, uh, we need to get over the fact that we have uh, massive uh, ocean liners that ca- like carry stuff across the ocean and produce mm-hmm. more more pollution than maybe the entire country. But uh, we'll get to that one step at a time. Uh, but for now, him, you know, pushing forward electric cars, creating demand that way, and forcing old car to or I'm sorry, I should just say big car, into uh, going more into the electric, hybrid route. Good stuff. But is he an asshole on Twitter? Yes. Yeah, he, he really is. Um, I don't know. I've I've said this before, that like if Ford made a version of the F-150, which is the truck that I own because I'm a big man, uh, that was all electric, I would I would definitely purchase it. So Yeah. All right. Uh, tell me financial stuff. All right. So this is all financial. So uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna talk about Bridgerton getting a second season here in, in a bit. So bear with me. Uh, financials. Uh, Netflix anticipates a positive free cash flow. That's positive cash generation without the usage of debt. Soon, TM. So uh, the pandemic has been very good for this show because Caleb and I have been able to still work, knock out some other debts. And uh, we're, I don't say living large, but living very comfortably for our income level. Mm-hmm. Uh, so con- on the same wavelength, Netflix has, you know, because of the lack of productions they've had going through the year, uh, and also the cancellations they've had for uh, lower budget, uh, but also not as profitable kind of stuff, canceling that has helped them offset a lot of the the new costs absorbed by covid uh covid-19 production time stuff. So the end of the year positive in free cash flow, I think it was like 1.4 billion. Uh and because of that, uh they're expecting soon to be positive going forward. They're not expect they're, they're expecting to be negative for a bit longer, uh especially in 2021 when everything starts kicking back up again, but everyone the memes of how does Netflix make money and how are, are they paying for all this shit uh, are soon about to die because they will no longer be in massive amounts of debt. Well, you'll be happy about that. I have I have to have this argument every time. How does Netflix make money? They you 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 pay them, okay? But how do how do they how are they always in debt because they need to build a content library? Okay, when are they getting out of that soon? TM. 
I'm very happy that I never have to have this discussion on Twitter ever again. <laughs> uh, and following up on that, Netflix no longer believes that they will need outside funding for day-to-day operations. That means they're not going to have to reach out to uh, lending companies in order to fund their day-to-day. Uh, that is along the same lines as the free cash flow. Uh, because they are expecting a free, co- a positive free cash flow, uh, that means they will have more cash in the bank in order to pay employees uh, and other such stuff, which is typically the day-to-day stuff. It's not acquiring product. It's not acquiring productions or anything like that. When they mean day-to-day, they mean like, hey, we can keep the lights on at like headquarters and locations, pay everybody, all that kind of stuff. It doesn't mean like they're not going to go, you know, try to raise three hundred million dollars to buy uh, a couple productions from stream or uh, studios who need to get quick cash now uh, for their movies that are are constantly being delayed uh, as opposed to, you know, uh, other stuff. Uh, So that does bring us to the Bridgerton season two announcement. Uh, Netflix did hint at this uh, in their earnings call saying that like, we have more exciting news about Bridgerton later this week. Uh, Their earnings call was on Monday and I think they announced the renewal on Thursday. Uh, So, Based off of their projections, which uh, they, I think it's 70 million, they expect uh, 70 million viewers for Bridgerton in its first four weeks. Uh, that's a massive success. And I just, I don't see how you couldn't renew that show with that kind of success. All right. There was other stuff, but like I said, just go to my live stream. I, I talk about it on there. I, there's stuff that's like not super consequential to our, our purview here. All right. Um, I guess just as a a final news item, uh, fucking Fate the Wink Saga is number one in the U.S. and I'm baffled. <laughs> Wait, is it? But, it's out. Yeah, yeah. It came out a day or two ago, but oh. I don't know. I've heard it described as like Magic Riverdale. So sure, I guess yeah. for people who are into that, there's um. Like Bridgerton and I've like we kind of fell off Ozark and like this and stuff. Like there really are things that we should be covering on the show that we just don't. Like we have to really pick and choose, and sometimes we miss stuff. I wish that we yeah. had like another fucking correspondent who could do reviews of the stuff that we don't want to watch for the main yeah. show. No, that's true. I, I and believe me, I lamented that too when I talked about it on. Uh, the live stream because I was like, we have this get we have like I have the schedule, and I like the schedule, and I don't want to change from the schedule. But like Netflix, I think Netflix promoted like six or seven things as like the big things they're looking for to get behind. Uh, mm-hmm. And let me find them. All right, so the big productions to be on the lookout for: Cobra Kai, uh, the Lupin series, To All the Boys Three, Fate the Wink Saga, Yes Day, Sky Rojo and Space Sweepers. And uh, outside of Cobra Kai, and that's it, uh, none of those are on our list to cover. Yeah. I am really interested in Lupin. I need to sit down and watch it at some point. I have to get over my prejudice from the trailer, because, like I said when we first watched the trailer, the dubbing is fucking horrendous for that trailer. (laughs) Like, no one tried. And that really turned me off from the show entirely, despite the fact that I won't watch it dubbed. All right. 
Uh, with that, let's amble on over to Downstream, where we will talk about the trailer for Space Sweepers. Baby, I can't control the internet. That's my favorite line! Uh, so Space Sweepers is a movie. It's a big universe full of valuable trash. This group of misfits just might save the world. Get on board with Space Sweepers, February 5th, only on Netflix. Dan, what did you think of this trailer? Uh, I'll say it, it looks throwaway, but it also could just be like a fun thing to watch. Like, it looks like they're going to have, like, it's crazy yeah. space stuff happening. And the effects aren't yeah, it bad It looks either. like a romp. It's kind of like, uh, I guess, in the vein of Cowboy Bebop, maybe. Yeah, I can see that. But, like, it, I don't know, it kind of struck me as almost like a live-action cartoon, kind of. Yeah. So, well, yeah, it, it could be a fun romp. Uh, of course, the thing we're covering that weekend is anything but a fun romp. It's going to be Malcolm and Marie, but, I mean, whatever. <laughs> all right, and that's all. Um, yeah, looks like a looks like a fun show. Yeah. Oh, there's... Shit, they have, like, more description of the show at the very bottom of the YouTube yeah, they always do that. Video. Chasing after space debris and faraway dreams in the year 2092, four misfits unearth explosive secrets during the attempted trade of a wide-eyed human humanoid. It's like a little android girl who is also yeah. a weapon terminator yep. thing. That is correct. Yeah. So, it does look like a cool show. All right. Uh, and then we'll get into some quick hits. So Dan, tell me what you watched. I'm rewatching Parasite the Maxim, and it's all episodes I watched before, but like I kind of forget what happens, uh, except for like the main couple things that that happen, uh, which I won't talk about here because I still recommend you watch this show. Uh, and if you need an upsell still, and you don't remember me first saying this, uh, this show reminds me a lot of Spider Man, uh, and basically like a manga version of Spider Man. Man, the climax of the of the show is so fucking good. I'm only on episode eight now. I stopped at apparently uh, episode eleven, but uh, if if I get some time where I'm not busting my ass at home while working, I can finish through everything. Cause like like whenever Ash like because Ashley has no problem like doing her own thing and watching TV, but like whenever I'm doing my own thing, I I typically want to play video games. So like ha- having like wanting to sit down and watch television basically has to happen whenever I'm so goddamn frustrated at video games that I don't want to throw my monitor out the window. <laughs> and that's what happened today, and that's why I picked it back up. That's good. What about you? What did you watch? Well, I'll tell you what I watched, but I'm going to have to transition into a different segment called Caleb Watches Star Trek. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Caleb, his seven-season mission to explore a strange new fandom, to give up his social life and all his friends, to boldly go where millions of sweaty nerds have gone before.
is back. I'm going to talk about the episode Deja Q, which is the 13th episode of the third season. So I'm about halfway through season three at this point. Actually, a little bit more. I watched uh, a couple episodes after that. So the Enterprise is trying to stop a planet's moon from falling out of its orbit and crashing into uh, this highly populated planet. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically destroying their whole civilization. Um, so as they're working on trying to get that taken care of, uh, Q appears on the bridge completely fucking naked. Hot. And he, yeah, real hot. And he explains that he's uh, been exiled by the Q continuum for sowing chaos throughout the universe and uh, has been stripped of his powers. Uh, Picard doesn't fucking believe him at all. <laughs> Uh, and tries to make him, you know, pull this moon back into its orbit and, you know, do the right thing for once, goddammit. So, like, he can't, or, like, says he can't, so Picard treats him like a, a common thug and throws him in the brig. Okay. So Picard keeps urging him to use his powers, and he insists that he has no powers except he... He states that his IQ is 2005, so he's a uh, big brain chess master. But other than that, his his powers are gone. Q basically, like, like data is assigned to watch over him and, like, mm-hmm. keep anything shitty from happening. So Q is like, well, why don't you just change the gravitational constant of the universe so that, you know, you can easily push the moon back in place? And they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) They do like a bioscan on Q and they find out like he's completely human. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Q is like having an existential crisis. Like he's like, man, why is my stomach making noise? And it hurts. And they're like, well, you're probably hungry. And he's like, what the what the fuck is hungry? Me all the time. Yeah. Uh, a little bit after that, there's uh, like a gaseous living creature called the Calamarain who um, started attacking the Enterprise and by extension Q uh, because he was fucking with them and they're trying to get revenge. And it turns out that, you know, basically Q requested for the Continuum to like drop him off at the Enterprise so they could protect him from these aliens that are trying to murder him. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, and then, you know, Geordi LaForge is thinking about this dumb bullshit Q said about changing the gravitational constant of the universe. Uh, and he actually, because LeVar Burton is the smartest person ever, uh, he's like, well, maybe we can do that in like a small volume of space. Like, fuck with the laws of physics a bit. They explained it. They use like future sciencey mumbo jumbo to be like, yeah, we can we can do this in like a small section of the moon, but it'll like lower its overall mass so the tractor beam can tow it away or whatever. Uh, but as they decide to start trying to do that, the this uh, gas cloud attacks again, and uh, so Q decides to sacrifice himself by leaving the ship on one of their shuttles. No, not Q. Yeah, uh, so it looks like Q's going to die because the, the Calamarain starts going after the shuttle. Uh, but then 
Q reappears on the Enterprise with uh, another member of the Q continuum, and they said, hey, you you did something selfless to help protect the Enterprise, mm-hmm. so we're restoring your powers, and we hope you've learned your lesson. Oh, there you go. So, and then Q, like, snaps his fingers, and then he's, like, in a mariachi band, and, like, singing and dancing, and, like, doing his usual japes, and Picard's like, get the fuck off my ship now. <laughs> uh so he does, after uh, bestowing a parting gift on Data for helping teach Q how to be human. So after Q disappears, uh, Data begins to laugh uncontrollably. And everybody's like, man, Data, what the fuck's happening to you? And he's, Data says, I don't know, but it f- I've, I liked it, you know? So Data got to experience the joy of laughter. Good for him. Uh, also, as he disappears, the... Like, they realize that Q put the moon back in orbit, like the planet calls and says, hey, whatever you did, you know, you saved us. Thank you. And uh, Picard, you know, says, oh, m- uh, Q must have done that as he was leaving. And maybe Q has uh, a shred of human decency in him after all. Uh, but then a fucking uh, big fucking stogie of a cigar appears in Picard's hand and Q's voice says, don't bet on it. And then they roll the credits. <laughs> This episode was fucking delicious. Yeah, that's what it feels like whenever Q shows up. It's like it goes like hyper camp on us. And yeah. It's just him being Q, ridiculous. Q the is whole such time. a great antagonist because like they can just lean into the goofiness of the show. Real quick, I'm I'm gonna have to rewatch the episode because it was like real late when I was watching it and I was drifting in and out of consciousness, but I did watch uh the episode Yesterday's Enterprise, which is um Basically, like, the show's apology for uh, killing security officer Yar in the first season, because, like, she just got killed off in the dumbest fucking way. Okay. How did she get killed off? Because I'm not familiar with it. It was just, like, a random monster of the week that, like, it was, like, this fucking tar monster or something that just killed her, and it was just, like, really sudden and, like unceremonious and i guess like the people that really liked her character fucking freaked out about it so ah that sounds familiar so yeah like um yesterday's enterprise they they find like a rift in space time just like hanging in the middle of space so they're monitoring it and then uh a heavily damaged federation ship comes out through this thing and then, like, as that happens, there's, like, a time ripple, and uh-huh. it changes It changes the Enterprise. So, like, Picard's Enterprise, which is the Enterprise D, like, the colors on the bridge change, and their uniforms change, and, like, there's just a bunch of subtle changes and stuff. Uh, but the ship that came out through this rift is the Enterprise C, the predecessor to the current Enterprise. Uh, which is heavily damaged and was supposed to have been destroyed like two decades before. Mm-hmm. So it's like this this weird ship that's like not in its correct place in time and stuff. Like the timeline changed, like and Guinan, who is Whoopi Goldberg's character, she runs like the bar on the ship. She's just like something's not right here. Things aren't how it's supposed to be because like in this timeline. The Enterprise isn't like an exploration ship, it's a warship, and uh, the Federation is at war with the Klingons, 
So she's like trying to convince Picard, like, no, there's supposed to be children here. Like they're supposed to be families. Like we're exploring the universe. And Picard's like, this is a warship. Why would there be children here? So it's it's really cool. It's really it's a really interesting thing. And like of course, uh Worf is replaced by Lieutenant Yar, because like in this timeline, they're at war with the Klingons, so Yar comes back for this episode. It kind of turns out that like um Yar realizes what's going on and that she has to like help them go back to the the proper timeline, but she mm-hmm. knows that like she'll not exist in that timeline, like she would have died. So it's kind of like they they give her a proper send off and like let her basically sacrifice herself for the for the good of, you know, the universe. So it's cool. Like I said, it's it's just like a one-off, but it's just like a nice kind of love letter to that character that uh, kind of disappeared off of the show abruptly. Also, I really like the design of the Enterprise-C. That's probably like my favorite Federation ship. Hmm. Okay. So uh, what you're saying is that in season four, Barb should get her own episode. <laughs> Fuck that. Uh, but yeah, that's that's where I'm at in the show as of right now. Okay. Uh, so with that, we're going to cut and do a quick break. And when we come back, you'll be joined by Gerald from Two Peas on a Podcast, a.k.a. the uh, 100% of the time punching bag for this show. Let's talk about Pieces of a Woman. The Netflix and Swill podcast is brought to you by our patrons. Gerald Morris, Bill Sutton, Nick Haskins, Ashley the Bubby Gorski, Ben Kiefer, Paul Prezula, Daniel Henderson, Julio Oliveira, Jimmy De La Rosa, Chris Yaney, Brianna Petty, Nate Wade, Alan Gallarisi, Duty Dutram, Casey Moore, and Dan's mom. If you would like to become a patron of the show, find us at netflixandswill.com slash Patreon. Buy some shit. Visit netflixandswill.com slash merch. Leave a review and tell me how good I'm getting at public speaking. Visit netflixandswill.com slash Apple Podcasts. Thanks for letting us live our dreams of being professional idiots. We now return you to your regularly scheduled banter. Welcome back, everybody. Caleb, we are, of course, joined by my bald brethren, Gerald, from Two Peas on a Podcast. It's me, Gerald. I'm bald, and I don't... I think Harry Potter is too long. (laughs) Thanks for having me on, guys. Gerald, it's wonderful to have you back. Uh, I can't believe you're back on the show after the uh, verbal abuse that I heaped upon you for 20 straight weeks. Mm, It happens. (laughs) Thanks, Walt Weiss. <laughs> what am I doing here? I don't know. Even Caleb's going in on me, man. I thought we were boys. What's up, dudes? Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to talk about this flick with you guys. Thanks for being here. Yeah, man. I am excited about it. Uh, and, and the flick that Gerald, of course, is talking about is Pieces of a Woman. Pieces of a Woman is a new drama film on Netflix. It is a 7.1 out of 10 on IMDb. Ted, handsome, smart, charismatic, affectionate. Liz, a single mother, cautious but smitten. A picture of domestic bliss the two have 
have it all figured out. That is until Ted is arrested and charged with a series of increasingly grisly murders. A chronicle of the crimes of infamous killer Ted Bundy. Pieces of a woman now on Netflix. <laughs> I feel like you got your lines crossed. <laughs> crossed there. Oh, That's man. my slow clap. Mm. Well done. I thought it would be funny to read the Ted Bundy description <laughs> because it's called Pieces of a Woman. Is it really? And now I'm explaining and now I'm explaining the joke to you. No, the Ted Bundy movie was the extremely wicked, shockingly evil and vile. It's, but he cut people into pieces and kept them in a fridge. And Pieces of a Woman, woman would have been a better title for that movie for Ted Bundy, which would have made no sense. <laughs> uh, that's true. Well, now it's uh, not really funny anymore, or maybe never was. Uh, no, it the was, real description it was. of the movie is when a young mother's home birth ends in an unfathomable tragedy, she begins a year-long odyssey of mourning that fractures relationships with loved ones and a deeply personal story of a woman learning to live alongside her loss. Uh, the stars Vanessa Kirby and Shia LaBeouf, known dog killer. And known girlfriend beater. That's true. I, I can't believe that known dog killer Shia LaBeouf uh, abuses his partner. Hmm. I didn't know about the dog thing. Is that real? That is real. Wow. I got to Google that. I did not even know that until you yeah. just said it. Yeah. Shia LaBeouf really digging deep for this role. Uh, going to depths he never thought were possible before for him. Hmm. Yeah. He actually did appear on screen with a dog at one point in the movie and uh, shockingly didn't kill it because he is a known dog killer. Oh, Yikes. good God. I think that's why Olivia Wilde kicked him off his movie or off her movie, her new movie, whatever. Whenever that mm-hmm. comes out, uh, mm, I read about that. We will, we will talk about more of known dog killer Shia LaBeouf. But Gerald, first, what did you think of Pieces of a Woman? Well, uh, I mean, I liked it a lot. I, you know, I saw it a couple weeks ago, and I think you and I even touched on it when we did our 2020 episode. We were kind of talking about it, uh, whisperings of it. You know, I didn't. It didn't make my top 20 of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I loved it, particularly for the performances. Uh, Vanessa Kirby is just on another level. I just can't even believe the performances she puts in here. Uh, you know, just relaying grief so beautifully. And it really, uh, I felt like, was a powerful uh, portrayal of what that may feel like. I mean, hopefully, you know, parents or people that want to be parents will never have to endure that. But I feel like her performance really gives us an insider look into what that might be like. Now, this is a movie that, frankly, I know it's good. I really, really liked it. The technical aspects, the acting, everything was top notch. But it's also one of those movies that like, I will probably never watch again because of the <laughs> just the draining emotionality that was put into, the, into this project. So that takes a little bit away from it because I like to be able to kind of revisit stuff and talk about it with friends and... This is a movie I just want to stay away from after seeing it the one time. Uh, but with that being said, I did really enjoy it. Okay. Caleb? Well, it's definitely meant to be that big powerhouse acting piece movie. But for my part, I I kept waiting for that one performance that was really going to knock my socks off. And uh, it it would get like get almost there. And then I was like, eh, these people just aren't aren't quite up to the task. I don't. Uh, there's not anything like really for me to nitpick with it. Like maybe mm-hmm. it's just that, you know, this, this isn't my kind of movie or whatever, but like, 
Mm-hmm. The performances never really like blew me away, and that's kind of the cornerstone of what this movie is meant to be. It was an effective movie at doing what it intended to do. I was, it's a uh, a deeply uncomfortable movie to watch, uh, mm-hmm. especially when I saw um, known woman beater and dog killer Shia LaBeouf's uh, very hairy penis. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm, we do. There was there was also a, a, a crowning sequence that we got a quick shot of. And... Yeah, mm-hmm. and also that was like I don't know, like the fake like pregnancy belly that she was wearing too was like not convincing. <laughs> mm-hmm. It didn't look great, but it it was it's whatever. I don't know. You have to look at it a lot considering the movie has a fucking twenty minute cold open. Mm-hmm. Thirty minutes. We have we spend thirty like minutes. Hour, yeah. yeah, we spend thirty minutes on uh, pre before the baby. title card. Yeah, yeah. See, I was gonna say thirty minutes, but that felt like it was too long, and I felt like I was remembering it wrong. So I went with twenty. Believe me, I checked because I was very curious about that. Like, oh, what a that's a that's a long time to be spending here without you know a title card or anything. Because normally, like if a ti- if a title card is waiting that long, you're waiting till the end of the movie. Yeah. Uh, for my part, I fall in line, unfortunately, with Gerald, which means uh, wow. my failure what? my failure is complete, <laughs> uh, and I must go back to my home planet now. This one in Nomadland, I guess that's yeah. our that's our common ground. Yeah, it's uh, it's a look into how many different people cope with grief around the same event and i enjoy it from that aspect uh, not enjoy it I, I i like it from that aspect this is this is as gerald said this is like an impossible movie to enjoy probably one i will never watch again but i think caleb is right a bit in that like i i like the performances but there's not that one like big one that i think of and go this is it like there's a couple sequences, like Caleb said, where, you know, uh, Ellen Burstyn almost gets there. And then Vanessa Kirby almost gets there. And it's, like, like very close to transcending the movie into something amazing. And it just doesn't happen for me. Well, I respectfully yeah. disagree in terms of a performance because of Vanessa Kirby. I mean, that that's the one thing for me in this movie. That's the one through line that I feel like is just A-plus from the first time we see her and what we were talking about earlier with that 30 minute opening and what that did that, I, that was kind of an intriguing method because we were just talking about it, that it was basically a cold open and you get the title card. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't recall there ever being that long of a cold open in like a feature film, but what that did is that was such a like enthralling piece of cinema in my opinion, because it was shot very real life. It wasn't very cinematic. There wasn't a ton of like over the top lighting. There was obviously no special effects. It was just like cameras in these people's house, kind of filming this home birth, and it yeah. felt ve- very real in that way. There were a lot, I don't know if you guys remember there were a lot of one takes in that opening. No, there weren't a lot of one takes. It was basically twenty minutes of a one take. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, and the the one shot you know towards the end of that sequence when the camera follows Shia outside to get the ambulance, you know, was was an amazing motion one take mm-hmm. there. But yeah, you're right. It really was just maybe two or three takes, maybe throughout the whole thing. So it was a really 
interesting way to, I feel like, grab the audience. Now, I feel like what the problem is with this movie is that after that, mm-hmm. it kind of tends to trail off a little bit, and we never get back to that momentum that we had in the opening, despite the obviously depressing outcome of that opening. But nonetheless, from a movie standpoint, from a movie-watching standpoint, it was very enthralling. The rest of the film is both a hindrance but also beautiful because it's a hindrance because we don't get that kind of I – don't, I don't like to use the word action because that was a very depressing opening. But you know what I mean? We don't get that kind of connecting thing happening. It's just more her reacting to what we saw. Mm-hmm. And it's her, it's her grief that we get to witness for the rest – you know, the two-thirds remaining of the movie – and I don't know if we're into spoilers yet, but some stuff that happens and some, you know, things that come to fruition throughout the course of the film. But her performance, though, seeing her as kind of the joyous, boisterous mother to be in the very beginning, seeing her as this woman in labor, which, guys, I've seen that. I've lived through it. I have three children. So that was shot very well. She did a very, very good job with that. And then just so many layers to her performance with the grief and the regret and kind of the arc at the end, I mean, it, it was so many different layers for Vanessa Kirby. So I agree with both of you, but I would just say that her performance is top notch. And I would be shocked if she didn't get nominated for Academy Award this year based on what I saw in this movie. Well, I don't agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, she was just so subdued for the whole thing. Like, she, her coping mechanism for this loss is like to compartmentalize and like push mm-hmm. it down, push it away. It's so, like, she's so subdued. And by the time the script asks her to step up and give a powerhouse performance, the time for it is long past. Like, I just don't agree. That's cool. Okay. I don't think you're wrong. And I do agree with Gerald that I feel like the first 30 minutes are the strongest part of the movie. But continue. And I would say the finale too, like the the mm-hmm. kind of courtroom stuff that happens, like that was the the movie ended in a satisfying way. It's a little ambiguous at the end. My sister is a nurse, a maternity nurse no less, and she um loved this movie. And I went I went for my mom's retirement party last week. Well, I say party, but it was a small dinner. And <laughs> my sister was like, I was shocked to find out that she was in love with this movie, and she's like asking me all these questions of what I thought about it, and this and that. And I'm like, and she doesn't even really watch movies, so it was weird that this was like the one movie that she latched onto. But I guess from her connection from delivering babies and whatnot. But I, when we talk about the end and what you were talking about, Caleb, it's a little ambiguous at the very end there, and it's open to interpretation. And I was surprised to hear my sister's take on it. I had never actually heard what she believes the kind of ending was was telling the viewer so i'm assuming we'll get there at some point dan but i was going to tell you my sister's kind of thesis on that all right i I guess i will say like compounding on the fact that you know we most for the most part agree that the first 30 minutes outside of like maybe the the final sequence uh are the strongest part of the movie it also was like that ramp up of like all right we know something's happening when is the shoe going to drop? So, like, all this weird stuff happens. You're like, me me having never seen a fucking birth before, I'm just like, okay, when's this getting fucked up? Nope, not yet, not yet. I, I'm just waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And I'm like, oh, the baby's here. All right. I guess everything's fine. And then it's like, nope, nothing's fine. Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming you guys saw the trailer as well, but... 
I kind of knew what the movie was about, so I knew it was not going to end well. Right. Which also leads to the credibility for the filmmaking part of it and the technical part of it, the way it was shot, because even though I knew, you know, there was going to be, the tragedy was going to occur, I knew that, I was still invested in what was happening. And I was still, like, worried about her and worried about the baby and worried about, like, I was really watching to see what happens, even though I knew what was going to happen. So, and I didn't think about that until later, you know what I mean? Not in the moment necessarily. So I feel like that was a really good piece of filmmaking, kind of like a magic trick that was pulled off there because, you know, this the Netflix and the studios, they didn't, you know, hold anything back and telling us what the movie was about when they released the promotional material. So, uh, you know, there's going to be, you know, a dead child, uh, from this, from this birth. So mm-hmm. it's not like, it's not like that's a surprise thing when you see it, unless you didn't watch anything beforehand. And the, I mean, the other part about the movie, as I said, was is basically the fact that everyone's grieving their own way. Uh, as Caleb said, Vanessa Kirby's character is uh, Martha. Martha is compartmentalizing. <laughs> and everybody else is kind of like openly grieving, wanting justice. I mean, they're they're looking into criminal charges for the midwife. Played by Molly Parker, who uh, Caleb will know her from 1922. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, they're looking at criminal charges, they're looking at civil, uh, like filing a civil case, and, and they're all trying to like look for any particular reason or any person they can specifically blame things on, uh, on her, like and just shoving it off on her. And meanwhile, Vanessa Kirby's just like, I don't care. I want to pretend my my kid didn't exist because uh, pretending my kid doesn't exist makes it better for me. And seeing how that kind of butts heads with uh, her mom and uh, known yeah. woman beater and dog murderer Shia LaBeouf is uh, very compelling stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, you know if you feel like the the context of the movie sounds uncomfortable. Don't worry. Uh, known woman beater and dog murderer Shia LaBeouf is here to make things worse. Cause while all of this is going on, uh, he's also having an affair with the prosecuting attorney and slipping back into alcoholism and mm-hmm. drug abuse and, uh, mm-hmm. committing fraud to get the insurance money for his car and right. ca- fucking cash out. So, and quitting his job and mm-hmm. doing doing stupid shit. He's an absolute. His character is an absolute piece of shit in this movie. And, and but like to that, they don't do anything. Like they don't give him enough screen time to say like, "Oh, this is why he's a piece of shit." It just right. says that known woman beater and dog murderer Shia LaBeouf is a piece of shit, but doesn't delve into why. Mm. Right. Yeah, I mean. One thing that can be said for that, though, um, kind of, and I'm talking about from a movie perspective, not from an act from, from his a, from a real life perspective, where he is a known <laughs> woman beater right, and dog right. killer. But in terms of the movie, though, something that could be said for that is that that's another side of grief because obviously he's the yes. father here, right? So he's also lost yeah. his kid, and you know the way he's grieving with it is kind of in a lashing out kind of way, where he's like, you know, I'm gonna fuck this other woman, and I'm gonna. You know, because my my wife, who I lost a baby with, won't touch me, which, I mean, understandably, I mean, she's going through what she's going through. But and then, you know, the alcoholism, I mean, obviously people relapse all the time. So that's something he falls back on as well. 
you know, and then we have her character who's doing it, compartmentalizing it, as you guys put it, which is a great way to put it, because that's what she's doing throughout the, the bulk of the movie. So you have two very different reactions to dealing with this grief uh, from the two parents, which I thought was interesting, too. I just feel like this movie wants to be marriage story, but it's not good enough to be marriage story. I don't know if it wants to be marriage story. I think its aim is completely different than marriage story. Like, yes, it, well, it, like, is, it, is, ultim- it is ultimately a marriage you know falling I mean, apart. Though. Sure. But, like, there's still that underlying current of a marriage falls apart because of a different stressor than just what happened in their marriage. Like, what you? I feel like you can tie the dissolution of their relationship back to the the night their daughter died, and from there, oh, absolutely, and like uh, they they fall apart. Like he resents her for not having the same coping mechanisms he does, mm-hmm. and, and like when he's like, "Well, you won't touch me," and all that, all that stuff, and then gets very rapey. I mean, like. He he's tried to have her like open up before. Like it's not like he like she's you know ever been open with him, and he has uh, so he doesn't know what to do. Like he doesn't. I don't think he feels like he can share with anybody like what he's going through because like he doesn't trust his mother in law, uh, which means he doesn't trust basically the rest of the rest of the family. And if he can't talk to his wife, who is he going to talk to? Like he doesn't seem like a guy who goes to therapy. So. Yeah, he's going to fall back on to fucking other women, uh, back to drinking, back to doing drugs, uh, and then, you know, insurance fraud and all that other stuff. Yeah, the movie tries to show us in that first opening sequence, that first half hour, it try and, you know, take Shia LaBeouf out of the scenario and just the, talking about the character specifically, the dad here in this in the scenario, mm-hmm. tries tries to kind of sympathize the audience with him because... And then even shortly after the tragedy, too, because you can see that, you know, he's still trying to, like, kind of extend his hand out to her. Mm-hmm. He, you know, he offers to take her on the trip to Seattle. You know, you kind of get a sense that, like, he's trying to snap her out of it. But when the mother that was carrying the child for, for nine months had it die in her arms, even though he is suffering a terrible grief, it's never going to match probably what she's feeling her grief and he just doesn't see that you know he thinks this is easy as hey you know let's fuck or hey let's go on a trip or like whatever but it's not that easy but from a dude perspective we kind of connect with him like okay he's trying to help his wife here he's trying to kind of snap her out Mm -hmm. of it and then when that doesn't work that's when he kind of starts tumbling backwards and starts you know the alcohol comes in and then the fraud shit comes in and then he starts fucking his cousin or whatever she was no 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 marriage. that's her cousin <laughs> right 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 so he's not a good dude right but no. to get to that unsavory character level in the movie it, it was a product like what you said Dan it was a product of what happened to them on that one night right. you know it's all it's all going to go back to that one instance is there anything else anyone wants to say before we get into, I guess, mega? I think even like mega spoilers. It's just like the the courtroom scene. I guess it's like the only other thing I want to talk about, really. In the very end, I was going to. In the very about. end. No, I don't think so. I mean, I, you know, I uh, I think I've articulated how I feel about it. I think if it weren't for Vanessa Kirby's performance, I probably would not have even liked this movie, to be honest. But I, huh? 
I think pretty highly of it because of how she carried the film and the different layers that we got from her through different portions of the movie made it enjoyable for me. But like I said, I'm, I'm not going to revisit this film. I can't imagine a scenario where I would rewatch this. <laughs> so Caleb, anything else you want to add? No, I'm fine. Okay. Uh, I, I am also fine. So uh, what would everyone rate it? You want me to go first? Yeah, yeah I don't care. Somebody shout uh, out numbers. Uh, three point five out of five. I'm holding up a number of fingers for Caleb. I know what his rating is. Two and a half. Oh wow, that's a uh, damn. Uh, <laughs> uh, What'd you think? I can't believe I'm the highest ra- rating on this. Uh, I'm going four. Hey, nice. Well done. Wow. Okay. Uh, fuck. Hell froze over, guys. I'm the most positive person on a movie. Uh, so with, yeah, I know. with that, let's uh, take a quick spoiler break and uh, skip ahead if you don't want to hear the, the the discussion of the ending of the movie. Thank Let you. me just play the ending for you. No, no, I don't want to see how it ends. Okay, I could describe it. Um, imagine you're in a room. No, no, like... no, no, I don't want to know how it ends. I haven't seen the beginning. Uh, yeah, yet. but the ending is awesome. So if I could just play bitch, the... this is what you always do. You always spoil stuff uh, for me. No, I don't. And if I could just play the ending for you real quick, then we'll discuss that. Motherfucker, you always spoil everything before I get a chance okay, to see Okay, you sound like a crazy person right now. All right, so uh, I guess let's discuss, like, her big scene, the big scene in the courtroom where it's like she comes back from recess, has collected her thoughts, and she's like, all right, my mom said I need to find my voice, so here's my voice. I don't think this woman did anything wrong. So uh, let's all fuck off from this because this is stupid. Bravo, I say. Uh, I mean, I'm glad because, you know, I, I know Caleb mentioned earlier that he really enjoyed the uh, legal proceeding stuff. I didn't. I thought it was kind of out of place for the rest of the movie because, you know, the majority of the film was kind of a portrait of her and her dealing with this tragedy, Martha. And it kind of veers off. I felt like she was forced into that trial and she's the person that really should be signing off on it. And everybody else was, and everybody, you know, wanted to be able to point the finger and place the blame. But at the end of the day, shit happens guys. I mean, it was not the midwife's fault. That's my belief at least. And I never thought it was. I never, while it was happening in that first opening, I didn't think at any point that, oh, she fucked up or she should have done this or she should have done that. I mean, you know, I'm sure they all could have done something differently to possibly have helped the baby or made it a little more likely that that outcome would not have occurred. But I don't, in other words, I don't place the blame on any one person. It was more just the scenario and how it played out. In fact, if I was going to blame anyone, I would probably blame the parents for having a fucking home birth. <laughs> because, I mean, you know, go to the hospital and have a baby, guys. I mean, that's what people do. You know no, I mean? no, no. We got, we got hippies now. We got to do this home birth shit. But it's not that I disliked the courtroom stuff. I just felt like it was completely different from the rest of the movie. And I never for one second felt like it was a warranted trial because I never felt like she was at fault. So it just felt strange to me that it would have even made its way to a courtroom with what I had seen with my own eyes in terms of proof or whatever. Ah, but but that's because you're looking at it without grieving eyes. With, with grieving eyes, you just go, True, yeah, let's sure. laser focus on the one thing we all agree isn't on our side, which is the midwife. Well, I applauded her little, uh, you know, thing at that, her little speech there to get the midwife off the hook. I really thought that was great. I thought that that showed a lot of courage from her character's perspective. And she basically stood up to everybody else at the same time, too, and right. said, look, 
I mean, at the end of the day, she's saying, look, it's not going to bring my baby back. I mean, why am I going to ruin this lady's life when she was just there to help me? She was a part of this ter- terrible tragedy, too. And I think I think Vanessa Kirby even says something like, you know, I can't pass my grief on to another person. Yes. Like, I'm still going to have my grief. You know? and, and that's what the whole movie's about. All right. Ending. Gerald, what is your sister's thesis for the ending? Well, I tried to talk her out of it, guys. Um, oh, no. And I didn't, this is, oh, no. It's a Q, uh, QAnon I, thesis. I, Good God. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, not that bad. But I, I don't like the, it. The but storm is upon Vanessa Kirby. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like it, but it got me thinking that she might be onto something. But she thinks... In the ending sequence, when we see, you know, fl- flash forward, I don't know, five years or whatever it is, and we sure. see the little girl playing on the apple tree. Mm-hmm. And, you know, ap- apples were a prominent theme throughout this movie, by the way. Uh, we didn't mention that, but yes. anyway, they're they're featured prominently throughout. Don't worry, Joe. The- you'll learn on this show that we, we don't mention many things during the review, fine. and then automatically are like, oh, yeah, hey, remember this thing that came up many, 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 many times? <laughs> My sister, to make a long story short, thinks that Martha is back with Shia. Oh, God. In, no. in Washington State because of Washington Apples. No. And, and I told my sister, I'm like, what? why would you, why, why would you even project that onto me? Because A, he's a piece of shit. And B, they're not going to overcome that the level that they went to to cope with that tragedy and then just be like, Oh, okay, well let's try again. Uh, so I don't buy that, no. but my sister's like, you know, I don't know. I think they're back together. So that's what well, my sister said. To quote <laughs> president George W. Bush, fool me once. Shame on me. Shame on you. Fool me twice. You can't get fooled again. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Remember when we had a stupid president who was like mildly competent? You remember, boy? You remember when the last president made him seem like a great orator? I know, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, those were the days. We'll always have the 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 gif of him dodging the shoes. <laughs> I love the guy was so mad he took his other shoe off and followed up. And Bush is like half smiling too. He's like, "Oh, here comes the other one." <laughs> good reaction time on this Bush. Yeah, good, good for him. Gerald, your sister is insane, and you can tell her I told you that. Like that's that's not even a real read. I told her myself. I'm like, even if that was fucking true in some parallel alternate Twilight Zone world, why would you want that to happen? Like, right? He, just the most toxic situation. <laughs> But yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't I don't buy it, but that was her pitch. What do you guys think about the ending? It's interesting because like I look at that and like there's there's typically that telltale sign whenever you're watching something that like you have like the kind of blurred up edges that it's a dream. Uh I didn't see any of that shit, so it's like she eventually she actually did have a kid. And considering the fact that like she was fostering apple seeds basically in order to get them to mm-hmm. sprout. I felt like the when she took the seeds out, like when they started to sprout was when she felt like she could actually become a parent again, or at least part like not a parent, but like become 
ungrieving, I guess, is the best it, way to put it. It symbolizes growth and a spiritual journey. Sure. Right, right. So, right. so like, after that, it's like, when, when they sprout, it's like, oh, she, okay, she's better. Like, she, fe- she feels like she can move on to a degree uh, and, and maybe try again at some point. And, and clearly does try again at some point because she's planted the trees and now she has a daughter who eats apples. Because, there you go. Yeah, uh, and her her daughter is a god of death because gods of death love apples. Oh, I didn't know that part. <laughs> I got the reference. Thank Was you. anybody else waiting for the girl at the end to fall out of the high branch of the apple tree yep. and yeah. be killed? Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was. I was like, oh, well, more pieces of a woman. Here we go. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, shit. Oh man, the. <laughs> The next movie is called Pieces of a Woman 2, Too Many Pieces. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah, uh, Gerald, I, you're, I don't care who she's with. She could be with literally anybody. She could have gotten, like, sperm donor sperm. I don't care. Uh, just anybody well, but known even, woman beater and dog killer Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, even adopted, maybe. You yeah. Know? Doesn't I mean, matter. Who knows, uh, whatever, who knows yeah. how far in the future that was, yeah. I'm with you guys, but I was just like, what? Why, why the fuck would you? Is, I was like, no. No, not, man, no. Please don't tell me that. I don't want to picture that shit. No, I mean, they, he no. took the mother-in-law's money and let her drop him off at the airport <laughs> while he left. Why would you want her to go back to that guy? Yeah, right. Uh, it's, also, it's like the, the, apple, the apple seed sprouted whenever he left. So, like, there's definitely the symbology there. Yeah. Symbolism. Maybe. Symbolism. No, no, no. I prefer symbology. I know it's wrong, but <laughs> symbology, just the study of <laughs> wombology, the study of wombo. Come on. This is first grade stuff. Well, apparently she uh, committed herself to the study of womology. Oof. Yikes. Mm. <laughs> I wanted to point this out because uh, Ashley gets mad at me now whenever I do this, but... Uh, oh. As Gerald, you're in the film Twitter space tangentially, uh, and, sure. and you're aware of like how often people would complain about Netflix not showing the full credits and being like, hey, minimize the credits as soon as we hit a certain point, so that right. way you can't see anything. Uh, I now wait to see when Netflix minimizes a lot of their like higher-end like stuff, or like this, where it's like, hey, we want this to be our like one of our awards contenders. Uh, and I can tell you right now, credits played throughout the whole fucking thing. So, uh, I oh. I feel like okay. that is when when that happens, they're signifying, "Hey, check this out." When the they they minimize the screen almost immediately after the end of the movie, it's like, "Oh, fuck this piece of shit." Then, yeah, go watch something else. Yeah, I uh, well, I mean, I think Vanessa Kirby's got some nominations in her future, and I think Ellen Burstyn is possible. She gives that monologue at the at the intervention slash dinner party or whatever the hell that was. Yeah. That I had read was a lot was improv in that scene to, cause she didn't feel like her character was written. The the mother character wasn't written real enough. It wasn't, it didn't speak to her personally. So she improv a lot of that and told stories from her actual life in that scene. Oh my so God. Well, that's pretty. That's yeah. Pretty so, uh, I thought that yeah, exactly. I thought that was tremendous, and she's great. I mean, she plays that kind of 
you know, micromanaging kind of mother figure really well, I feel like. Because she just wants the best for her kid, but she's not really going about it the right way and kind of backdoor dealings and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But also, So Ellen Burson is, and Vanessa Kirby. I was going to say also she has uh, early onset dementia. So maybe mm-hmm. that's why Ellen Burson didn't feel like her character was too well written is because she's like slowly losing it over yeah. over the course of the movie. Yeah. I think the most aggravating part of this movie was listening to these fools fucking try to remember details about the white stripes. <laughs> ben, and by the way, we didn't mention Benny Safdie's in this movie. One of the Safdie I was going to call off one of the Safdie brothers, and I was like, Gerald, yeah. did you recognize the Safdie brother? Fuck yeah, I did, dude. I was like, oh shit. And I was like, ah, well, that brought this movie down a bit. Oh, brought it up for me. I was like, yes. I had to look it up to confirm because I'm like, that was a lot like Benny Safdie. Uh, Cause you know, he was kind of, he was like a car salesman or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that one, that one scene, like the first time we see him, he's kind of like in the background, he's not really prominent. I'm like, I think that's Benny Safdie. And then like a couple minutes later, he was at the desk talking to Shia and I'm like, yep, that's him. And then we get the whole white stripes montage uh, that, that was talking about. That was, was like, <laughs> were they husband and wife or brother and sister? Technically. Yes. Oh man. <laughs> All right. Uh, Gerald, uh, unfortunately, we did not go for uh, two and a half hours on this review because, uh, d- you know, we always want to infuriate you here. But uh, no, why, why don't you take uh, however much time it takes uh, in order to hit that mark to tell everyone where to find your podcast? Oh, no, they don't have to find me. They're good. You're good. Just. Uh, OK, cool. Thanks. Uh, yeah. Well, just find the- me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you two guys don't want to find me, so I'm good. Just go to two peas on a pod.com. All the information is on the website and uh, the Golden P Awards are coming up. Make sure you cast your ballot for that. Vanessa Kirby actually got nominated for Best Actress for Golden P. So for Pieces of Woman. But yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It was it was great to be here and great to talk about this you movie know, with you. I've been meaning to talk to you about this. The the yeah. Golden P is not great from an optical standpoint to call oh, your awards. No, 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 you're right. It it isn't great. It's amazing. Uh, it's true man what should i call it caleb i can change it um you're gonna shower them with your golden praise (laughs) the golden praise no you're gonna shower them with your golden praise is what i said oh Oh, okay i i I feel like it should be r kelly sponsors the golden (laughs) p R. Kelly and Trump present the Golden Nope. Days. Nope. Can't say that no. word anymore. Do we know what's happened to him since he left office? Did, did he just die? I hope he just died. Uh, well, he doesn't have Twitter, so he can't tell anybody. That's great. I know. That's phenomenal. I know. No, no, no. I don't I, care. I'm good with that. We don't need it. I would, I would be fine if we never heard from him again. It's been we almost will, a week now, and... Charges still haven't been filed. Biden, what are you doing? Uh, looks like they're filing impeachment pay- charges on uh, Monday. Yeah, nice. I saw that it starts on like February 8th or something like that. Yeah, something like that. They need 17 Republicans, though, so I don't know. I'm not too hopeful, but we'll see. Let's go, Mitt Romney. Get some principles, motherfucker. Mitt's, Mitt's pretty good. I think... Uh, uh, we'll see what McConnell does. 
he'll turtle turtle and like hide in his fucking shell again. Fucking Gonzo <laughs> motherfucker. Uh, that was my favorite joke that I ever made. Was uh, whenever his house got vandalized, I said, "But doesn't he carry his house with him?" <laughs> oh, that is good. <laughs> I miss that. That's good. All right. All right. So, uh, with that, thank you to Gerald for being on the show, and we will cut into a quick break, and when we come back from said break, we'll be back with a dick pic review for Killing Them Softly. Hello, listeners. I want to talk to you for one second, real quick, about the Golden P Movie Awards, referred to lovingly as the Golden Peas. Every year... I take the opportunity to celebrate the year in film, and 2020 is no different. Please head over to 2peasonapod.com slash goldenpeas and find all of the nominees as well as links to a ballot that you can use to vote. Voting is open from January 29th until March 1st of 2021. We feature all of the main categories that you will find at shows like the Golden Globes and the Oscars, but we poll the film and Twitter and podcast community to get those nominees. And as you know, they are chosen by you. So please cast a ballot, head over. Once again, it's two peas on a pod.com slash golden peas. We love movies and we love celebrating movies and we hope you come to the party this year. Welcome back, everybody. Caleb, it is time to get into a dick pic review for Killing Them Softly. So we're just done with phrasing, right? Jesus, look at that black cock. All right. If you've never listened to this show before, uh, welcome. Dick Picks is a segment where we take a random dictionary word and run it through the Netflix search and watch whatever comes up. Uh, so the word that I got was soft, and we watched Killing Them Softly. It is a 2012 crime drama thriller film. Uh, it is a 6.2 out of 10 on IMDb. Jackie Cogan is an enforcer hired to restore order after three dumb guys rob a mob-protected card game, causing the local criminal economy to collapse. This is written and directed by Andrew Dominic, uh, based on the novel Cogan's Trade by George V. Higgins. And it stars Brad Pitt, Ray Liotta, and Richard Jenkins. Dan, what did you think of Killing Them Softly? fucking hated this movie <laughs> there's huge swaths of this movie where i'm just like okay but why are we focusing on this character like i guess it sucks knowing that brad like knowing brad pitt is in the movie because it's just like i just want to see brad pitt do stuff and for the most part despite the fact that they specifically mention his character in the synopsis of the movie that brad pitt's character it basically does nothing through the entire thing and it infuriated me. Yeah. Because he's just, like, a cleaner, like a, a mob tough who is just sent in to, like, contain and, you know, destroy the situation that, that's going on. I remember when this came out, and it was, like, really heavily advertised and was basically a big flop, so. Yeah. The plot's fairly linear, and so it's... The best thing I can say about this movie is that it's easy to follow. Uh, but the whole time, I feel like it's aspiring to be a better gangster movie than it is. Yeah, I think my big problem with the the following this is, like, the dialogue. It, it's like there's huge sections of just dialogue, and if you tune out for, like, half a second, it's like, wait, what? So you have no idea what the fuck's going on. Like, there there are times where, like, Brad Pitt's talking to Richard Jenkins in the car, 
And then they're explaining what they're about to do next. And I'm like, wait, what? So the budget of this was an estimated $15 million. Do you want to guess what the opening weekend was in the U.S.? Uh, $1.2 million. Actually, six point eight, uh, uh, but the terrible. full gross was only fifteen million twenty six thousand. So, pretty big flop when you factor in advertising and everything, right? Because that's usually, once again, the entire budget of the film. So, I really didn't ask you. What did you think of this? It was fine. Like this whole movie, just it's so grimy. Like there's no likable characters, right? Except. Sometimes Brad Pitt, like, I want to see him do baller shit, but, like, really, he's just a a trigger man who shoots people sometimes. But, like, I don't know, man. Like, the two main guys that it follows, like, the the one you kind of feel bad for because he's just a fucking stupid kid who got in over his head. But, like, his ultimate fate, like, you see it coming a mile away. Oh, see, I never saw that coming, actually. Yeah, I don't know. It it happens, and then I was like, yeah, that's that that tracks. I mean, yeah, like, but to be like, fair, uh, based off of everybody else's reaction to it, I'm, like, the only one that didn't see that coming. So, like, it, if it's obviously everybody else, like, that's fine. Like, it, it worked for me, being like, oh, shit, I can't believe that happened. But, I mean, if everybody else sees it coming, whatever. I'm not saying that, like, it didn't work or anything. Like, it, it fits the tone of the movie. It's sure. just that, like, eh, it, it is what it is. Like I said, it's the whole thing's just fairly mediocre and not good or exceptional in any way. I don't know where the fuck they spent $15 million on this. Probably permits and such. Permits and... and- uh, archival Red footage paycheck yeah well it's brad pitt's uh production company so if you're brad pitt yeah and you want to keep this the cost low for your own production company you probably take lesser of a paycheck for it or you're taking you know based off of profits which yeah that makes you sense. don't make much money but i mean still so brad pitt's handler for lack of a better word is uh the dad from uh, Step Brothers, yep, which Richard I thought Jenkins. was pretty great. Uh, you also get James Gandolfini playing a real shithead. Like, he was an actor for a while in mafia-related things. It was it was funny whenever, like, there's the scene where he gets off the plane, and I'm like, oh, of course this guy's in the mafia, because right. he's wearing, like, he's wearing an Italian cut suit with, like, a dark shirt underneath it. Which, you know, don't do that. You know, wear a light-colored shirt under your dark suit. Um, That's day one stuff. Uh, No tie, and he has, like, these, like, tinted glasses. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that guy's in the Mafia. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna be real. I fucking hated Gandalf and his character. Uh, I have no idea why he's even in the movie. I don't know why he's in the movie. He doesn't do the thing. He doesn't do anything, and they have him monologue twice for a total of maybe 12 minutes. And it's like, do you guys just need to have the runtime hit, you know, uh, 12 minutes over whatever you want, like, it was going to? And you just were like, Gandolfini, talk! This movie is 97 minutes, and it spins its wheels so much. Yeah, it's like it's a a, a 60-minute movie where... They're they're just like, all right, we have to fill 37 minutes. 
but like they shot too much or like we have to fill 30 minutes but then they shot too much and they're like uh i mean i guess these seven minutes are okay just leave them in there who cares ray liotta's really built a career off of uh saying i'm the guy from goodfellas (laughs) i don't think he was terrible in this like i don't think he's terrible in anything but it's just like he's not good in this like he's he's fine like I don't know. The the scene where they fucking murder him is uh, Zack Snyder's wet dream. Like, he was apparently on set that day and just shot the entire thing in fucking (laughs) slow-mo. That's the thing. There's, like, I would say inappropriate use of of slow-mo and, like, graphical effects like that. There's also, like, I fucking hate the editing in the opening scene because it's, like, little clips of... Because this is, like... Supposed to be during the, you know, like, 2008, like... Yeah, and we'll talk uh, about that. Global recession, and it, like, kind of intersperses that throughout the movie, like, it keeps referring back to that. And it's supposed to be real thematic, but it doesn't really tie into anything Yeah, okay, fine, all. we'll talk about it now. I have no point... I, I don't understand what the point of the whole 2008 election is. Like, because, other than Brad Pitt referring to everything Barack Obama says at the very end of the movie... There, there's no thematic weight behind the entire movie and the 2008 election. They tried for there to be, it just didn't really work. Right, the script is terrible. The first, like, minute of the movie, I was, like, ready to just fucking skip through it or just fucking shut it off. Because, like, it does this really choppy edit where it shows... Like one of the characters walking down the street for like a second and then cuts to black and then shows him for like a half second, then cuts to black, then fucking shows George Bush talking about the economy sucking and then cuts to black. Mm hmm. It's like, I don't know why you have to do this. It's a terrible start to the movie. Uh, and this is where I should mention that Ashley has actually seen most of this movie before. She went to see this in theaters when it first came out, and apparently walked out. (laughs) So she got to relive this shit. Uh, Man, your girlfriend has so much fucking style. She does. She's just like, fuck this movie, chuck the popcorn, done with it. (laughs) Pop the hat. Boom, Um, throw the little small boot up on the counter. Boom, pop the hat. Boom, boom, ask for my money back. Because, right, like, like movie theaters, if you ask for your ticket money back, they will give it to you back because it doesn't actually go to them. It goes to, to the studio, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I, I, I'm asking you specifically because you have worked in a movie theater before. I don't really remember that that ever happened. Maybe once or twice. And typically, the way I would handle that would be to just give them, like, a free pass to another movie. Right, because you can get repeat business on, like, concession sales. Correct. Yeah, you don't you don't want the customer to leave without a reason to come back. But yeah, you mentioned the editing. Uh, I fucking hate the editing throughout the entire movie. Not even just the first part of the the the, the movie. They're like the first like minute. Uh, I fucking hated it throughout the entire thing. There there are cuts that make no sense, and yeah. the camera works dog shit. I feel like this film should be taught in film school as like how not to do edits because like films are made in the editing room Mm -hmm. 
I feel like this is one of those movies that thought it was better than it was in production. And then they get to the editing room and they're like, oh, shit, this movie sucks. <laughs> Throw out all the critical metrics, like 6.2 6 out of 10 on IMDb, 73% on Rotten Tomatoes. Like those are not objectively good, but like they're solid. Like it, with that, you make a solid movie. I don't feel like this is a solid movie. I feel like there's a lot of baffling parts to this movie. That make no sense whatsoever. And an editor of any repute would see that, you know, James Gandolfini bitching about his wife and having to come up to Boston from uh, New York or Maryland area to do a job for seven minutes doesn't make sense. Like, there's no reason to even have it in the movie. There's no reason to even have the character in the movie in the first place if he's going to just do nothing. Uh, what would you give Killing Them Softly? Uh, I went with a one and half. Yeah, that sounds about right. I, 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 no. <sighs> All right, well, what are we doing next week on the show? Uh, so next week on the show, as I turn around to the whiteboard behind me, it is our Groundhog Day special. Uh, the episode will release on Groundhog's Day. Uh, and therefore, you had a very good idea for two movies that we should do. Yeah, so it'll be uh, basically us reliving the past Groundhog Day style by reviewing two movies that we've already reviewed uh, that have that sort of premise of reliving the same day over and over. Uh, so we're going to revisit Ark uh, with Robbie Amell, and also When We First Met with Adam Devine. I know you watched when we first met. I haven't watched it, but I know Ark was a main review topic like very early on in the show. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, I haven't posted that that old episode yet. But if you're uh, somebody who is on uh, or who subscribes to our Netflix and Swill Classic feed, uh, I will put that up shortly in order for you to be able to experience that again. Yeah. Also, forgive the sound quality. Because uh, I didn't know how yeah. to do production on audio tracks yet. Hey, we got there. I think I'm going to hold off revisiting that and uh, kind of come at this fresh and see how my review lines up to my previous review. Yeah, I'm not going to believe me. I'm not going to listen. All this is going to be like me throwing up the audio, copying the show notes from Podbean, and then sending it on its way. Uh, but I do want to say. When uh, we review When We First Met, Randy from the Miserable Retail Slave podcast and Someone's Favorite Movie podcast uh, has elected to be a part of that episode to review When We First Met. So uh, he'll be joining us for oh, that, cool. that review. Uh, I will have to reach out to him uh, in a more timely manner than I did with Gerald this week, where I asked him on Sunday morning, hey, or Saturday morning, hey, when are you available? <laughs> Alright, uh, well, you can find the show at netflixandswill.com. That's your one-stop shop for all things Netflix and Swill. We have masks that have our logo on them, and if you're not wearing a mask, you're a piece of shit. So wear one. And wear if one. you buy these ones, we get money. Yeah! It's a win-win-win. It's a win for you, because you're not infected by COVID. It's a win for normal human beings, because you're not infecting them with COVID. And it's a win for us, because it lines our pocketbooks. <laughs> that is correct 
Uh, thank you to Spaceweather for the use of our theme song, Bitter, uh, which is the way I feel towards the horrible, horrible editing of Killing Them Softly. Uh, I do want to shout out Space Weather because they are about to hit the recording studio. Uh, They're currently working on uh, writing their EP stuff and eventually recording it. And we will be here to break the news for when their EP or album comes out. I don't know what they're doing yet, but... Cool. We should do an album review. We could. Although I'm biased because I personally know every single person in that band. And I'm not, so maybe I'll make some enemies. <laughs> uh, and I guess because Caleb did all of the relevant information, and that leaves me to outro the show, and to tell you all, we'll see you next Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs>